You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. We are going to be working through James chapter 4 this morning as we talk about how throughout the scriptures we see this idea of needing to reflect. Uh, This really call God has on our lives for basically a type of what we call uh, a self-examination. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says this, to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith, to examine yourselves. And one of the best ways that God has for us to do that is through a mirror. Literally here, but figuratively for all of us spiritually. The mirror also or oftentimes can be seen as maybe a symbol of, of maybe self-awareness, self-examination. For example, if I said to you, uh, I think you take your sports teams way too seriously, you might go, bro, look in the mirror, right? Like, like look in the mirror, like, like, like look who's talking, right? It, it's that, that kind of idea of we need to have this sort of reflection, this, this reflecting in our hearts and our minds of, of where we are, of how our spiritual lives are going, of why things are the way they are, and our relationships, uh, and the effects of our choices, and our marriages, our friendships, our work environment. Like There's so many times in the scriptures where God says, consider this. Or didn't I tell you this? Remember this? Test yourselves, examine yourselves. It's a theme throughout the Bible, this idea of really looking in the mirror. This idea of self-examination, of being self-aware, of understanding exactly what's going on inside of you. Before we get to James 4, a little background work through James chapter 1 to get us to understand exactly what's happening. James chapter 1, James writes this, be doers of the word, and not hearers only. He says, deceiving yourselves. Like if you think you can just hear the word and that makes you a Christian. You can just go to church on Sunday, maybe just read your Bible or maybe pray sometimes and, and that's enough. He's saying, you're not just gonna be a hearer, be a doer. Like put feet actually to what you believe because if anyone's a hearer of the word and not doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. Hey there, good looking, what you got cooking? Sorry, he's that person. For he looks at himself, looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forget what, forgets what kind of person he was. But there's a contrast, he says. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in it. Who looks in the good news of the gospel revealed in the word of God, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us dying on a cross for our sins, rising from the grave, if we're not a forgetful hearer, that leads us to want to say, Jesus, here's my life now. In other words, a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So what does that mean, that looks in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what he looks like? Like, what's the image there James is trying to paint for us? I mean, if I walked up here, it's like this. I walk up here, look in the mirror, the first thing that comes to mind is, wow, you really need a haircut. Okay, I just noticed that. Like, you really need to get a haircut. I need to see my friend Callie at Mankind where I get my haircut. Okay, like, I I need, that was free Callie advertising, by the way. Uh, I I need to do that. Now, now that I just realized that, if I go to the rest of the week and don't get my haircut, that's the illustration he's trying to make here in James. That you look in the mirror, 
you see something that needs to change. I mean, think about it, get ready in the morning and, and maybe you have you know, some, some flakes on your, your eyebrows or you got a little something something in your nose. You know, missed a spot shaving, guys. And you see that, you notice that, you, you realize that, then you walk out the door. And even though you saw it in the mirror, you forget the something something's there in your nose. You forgot to do this when you looked at it in your eyebrow. You saw you needed a haircut and then you left and didn't do anything about it. He says, that doesn't make very, it doesn't make very much sense to look in the mirror and to see something and then completely walk away having done nothing about it. He says, that's what it kind of looks like. It's that bizarre to be someone who claims to have faith but isn't a doer of the word. That doesn't lead us to want to do something. And in James chapter four, we get to the real issue of what it looks like for us to actually reflect, to figuratively look into the spiritual mirror of our lives and try to gain some self-awareness so that we don't look in the mirror and then walk away and completely forget exactly what it is we spiritually look like. James says this, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Like, what's going on? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? Like, isn't what's going on out here, if we're really honest, isn't it what's actually going on in here that's the problem, in here that's the problem? He's like, you desire and do not have. The things you're looking for, you, you don't have them currently. You murder and covet and cannot obtain, and he's speaking allegorically here, Jesus said, if you hate your brother and you committed murder in your heart, he goes, you fight and wage war, and this is relational war happening here, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. Why? So you just might spend it on your pleasures. He says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it is without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? So what's happening here? Well, two times in James chapter four, verse one and verse three, we see really the Greek word uh, that's going to give us our understanding of pleasure. It can be more of a sensuous pleasure, but also a strong desire or a passion. We see it exist and happen and really come up a few times in the New Testament. In Luke chapter eight, verse 14, as for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who when they heard go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures. There's the word, same word used in James. Pleasures of life. Since so they're consumed in that, they produce no mature fruit. They're hearers, not doers. In Titus 3.3, we see that word appear again, the same word used in Luke 8, the same word used in James 4. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures. Same word. This idea of simply us wanting to get what we want to satisfy our earthly and worldly desires. I like what my friend Jared Wilson wrote about his life. 
with Christ. He says, my life thus far is a testimony to two realities. Primarily the catastrophic potential of my sin and reliance on myself. And second, the exceeding and sustaining kindness of the Father given to me through the gospel of his Son. In other words, at any moment that the wars that wage within me can cause me to murder figuratively and covet and to really find myself in a constant state of dissatisfaction that's going to lead me because of the wars that are waging within me to cause war out here. Any moment that can happen unless I am fully focused on the grace of God in my life, the love that comes from my, from my heavenly Father through the Son. In verse 6, he says this, and this is based on, and I want, that's why I put Jared's quote in there. Listen to these next words. He gives greater grace. Verse 6. He's telling us these things, that these wars that are waging in you, these things that are happening, that God sees you as a spiritual adulterer. He goes, wait, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. That is not who he's for. Those are not the one he hears. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives himself. He gives Christ. He gives forgiveness, fellowship. Not to the self-consumed. Not to the pleasure-obsessed, but the humble. So let's work through some of these verses I just read to you from James chapter four. And as we do this, I'd ask you to take this figurative look into the mirror to be able to answer the questions, what is causing all the turmoil around me, relationally, angst inside of me, dissatisfaction almost chronically, what is doing these things? So I'm going to go back through person running the slides at the beginning of James chapter 4 and kind of work through it, where he says in verse 1, what's the source of wars and fights among you? Because let's, let's be real here. Let's have some self-awareness here. Let's, let's look here. Let's reflect for a minute on our lives. Is it actually what's going on inside of you? Because you have these desires, he says, these worldly desires that are causing you really a lot of relational and a lot of life and internal chaos. He says, you desire and do not have. I mean, how obvious is that for our world? I mean, how many of us just need to go back to what we're looking for, for some kind of temporary fulfillment again and again and again? If it's checking how many people liked your post over and over. If it's another drink. If it's another relationship. Another website another purchase, and yet here we are and we, we, have, we have it physically maybe in our lives, but we cannot obtain it. I mean, it's not doing exactly what we wanted it to do. So instead of going, okay, maybe it's a me thing, maybe it's a me problem, instead we go, wait, I just need more of those things. But he's going, wait, what's waging that? What's bringing about that? And it's like, no, it's, it's there. It's, it's out there. And he goes, no, it's not out there. It's in here. He goes, the reason you don't have those things is because you don't ask for it, he said in verse 2. And this is a verse that gets taken out of context very often, and that's verse 3. You ask and don't receive because you ask for the wrong motives. And a lot of times people will cut it off right there, the verse. 
So they tell you, hey, if you just pray and have the right motives, God's going to give you whatever you want. Is kind of the idea when it's taken out of context. But that's not what he's saying here. He says, you ask with the wrong motives because the only thing you want to do, verse 3, he says, is spend it on your own pleasures. In other words, the prayers you're praying to God are only to fuel the issues you already have. They're only to fuel the things you already need God to help you with to get rid of those things in your life. So the wrong motives, it's not that your heart has to be in the perfect place to pray. That's not what he's saying. Rather, he's saying you're just asking things to fill and indulge yourself with. And guess what? God's not giving you them because he's trying to show you that they don't work. They don't work. And he says, you adulterous people in verse four. And that's, that's a common thing that God said to Israel, where that's how he viewed them and how he approached their relationship when they would be in sin, as if they were betraying him. They were being unfaithful to him because they were siding instead with pagan nations, with ungodly nations. They weren't living as God's people. They were hearing his word, but saying, God, no thanks. We don't want you. We want the pleasures of this world instead. And how God saw it was not they just made some random mistake or they just needed to be heard. He said, rather, you're an adulterous people. You're betraying. You're being unfaithful. And he tells me, he goes in verse four again, don't you know that friendship with the world, that it's hostility towards God. Now he's not telling you not to be friends with people who aren't Christians. That's not what he's saying here. The values of the world, the worldview of the world. And how easy is it for Christians to creep into it and put a, first a toe and then a foot and be standing in it without even realizing it? Because so much of what we consume from media, if it's social or on TV, maybe in the classroom, the, the, the voices around us are so often anything but friendliness to God. So there's this temptation to want to be friends of the world, and by that it means to have the world like us. I think that's one of the biggest temptations for Christians right now, especially younger, uh, my younger Christians, I don't mean you've even been a Christian for a short time, like younger people. Like college students especially, I think, and I think a lot of young adults, young professionals too, is that there's this, this pull to want the world to think we're not those kind of Christians. And by those kind of Christians, we usually mean those kind of like fundamentalist kind of, you know, you're, you're like un uncle at Thanksgiving and he starts talking about religion and you're like, oh no. You know, like you like apologize to everybody, you know what I mean? Like he said too much sweet tea, you know, that, that, that type of thing. But rather than just go, okay, we're not fundamentalist legalists who try to add things to the Bible, what happens instead is in the name of what we think is love, and it's really just fear of man and approval, we start just giving and caving and just abandoning clear Christian principles and teachings out of wanting people who maybe are loud and influential on social media to go, I like you. I like you. But we forget sometimes that after Jesus fed 5,000 people, there was a lot of people around him, a lot of hype. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And then he told them, look, you're going to go all in following Jesus or you're not going to be with me at all. And guess what happened? They left. They left. Because you can't be friends with the world and also be friends with God. Now hear me closely, I'm not saying we shouldn't pursue friendships with people. 
individuals. But how easy is it to, without even realizing it, to go at first toe deep in the water of the world and then be up to our chin? Which then eventually leads to abandoning the faith altogether, a very watered down version of it. It just allows you to have a basic, maybe the feels of religion, but then becomes more, no more than the intellectual commitments of atheism. Or you function and live as if God has not said these things. He says, you adulterous people. If you want to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. He says, do you not think, or do you think in verse 5, without reason that the scripture says, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? That God's a jealous God. He, he, he envies not in a sinful way because he's God, he is without sin and cannot sin, but he wants his people, his bride for himself. We're called the bride of Christ. Now the opposite of a faithful bride would be an adulterous bride. And that's the contrast he's making between the two. He envies. So I need to look in the mirror and just have some self-reflection and just reflect on some things and go, where am I being a friend of the world? rather than a friend of God. But like, like where in my life am I being a hearer but, but, not, but not a doer? Like where is this actual ha- actually happening? But there's good news for us because of verse six that he gives greater grace. The person who has become a spiritually adulterous person, God's not done with us. What he's doing here is he's calling us back to himself in repentance. He's calling us back away from the draws of the world, the pleasures that just won't get met, the desires we have that just can't seem to be ultimately obtained. What he's saying is exactly, God's not gonna grant you those things because those are not what he created to give you everything that you're looking for. What has he given us instead? Himself. That the greatest blessing of God is God. It's not even health. It's not even family. It's not even stability. It's not even a wonderful church. The greatest blessing God has given us is God. It's life with him. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ that we'll never be able to fully tap into what that life looks like as long as we are still friends with the world and as long as we're still trying to obtain things we were never supposed to have. And what it requires is humility, he says. Not being proud, not yeah, but, not, not, not saying, okay, I can do this, I can have one foot here, one foot there, and still be fine. But instead, in humility, saying, no, the, the things I'm looking for in my life, they never died for my sins. They're temporary, they never rose from the grave. My love for them also, their, their love for me is also conditional. My, my, my idols don't love me back. They don't want a relationship with me. They just want to use me. Then we get to verse 7, where he gives us the remedy of how to stay away from friendship with the world. He says, therefore, submit to God. Like, that's the call. Not to submit to the world, but to submit to God. To be a submissive people to God and to his word. We're under the authority of that now as his redeemed people. He says, resist the devil. Not play chicken with the devil. Resist the devil. You know what will happen? He will flee from you. Like that's what will take place. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Because he draws near to the humble, not to the proud. Does he receive the proud who are repentant? Absolutely. But that itself is an act of humility. We can't draw near to God and draw near to the world at the same time. He says, cleanse your hands, sinners. Well, we got to wash up from this. You know, we're not called to, uh, to avoid the world. We want to be in the world. But the world should not be affecting us. The world should be being influenced by us. And that's hard to do because they, they, they're, they're people that, that reject God, that, that mock his word. He goes, but purify your hearts, you double-minded. We can't be that way. He's being straight up here. He's talking to believers. It's like, you're double-minded, so you need to take some hand sanitizer, I mean, and put it all over you. And it's available to you because God cleanses sinners. If I'm looking in the mirror and going, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine, you know, everything's going to be okay, I'm never going to get to this point. He says, be miserable and worn and weep. He's talking about our lives. We're supposed to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh walking around. It's not what he's saying. What he's saying is over these things. We can't be casual towards our sin. We can't shrug our shoulders towards our sin. Our spiritual adultery, I mean, if it's someone in a, in a marriage, it's always, I know we have a long way to go in counseling when someone gets caught in adultery and they just go, eh. Well, you did this. Or I'm just going to do my thing rather than being broken, mournful, sad, remorseful, repentant. Then I go, okay, humility. We have a place to go now. We have a place we can walk now together going forward to heal this relationship. The good news is our sin does not break our standing with God. It will hurt our fellowship with God and our relationship with God, but does not change the fact for those who've actually been born again, who Jesus died for their sins, he has justified them, declared them not guilty. Our sin, our sin will hurt our fellowship, It'll hurt our souls, it'll hurt our spirits, but it won't change our standing with God because our salvation's in his hands, not our own. Because your laughter, you're laughing over your sin. You're a friend of the world. and You turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and guess what's gonna happen? Then he will exalt you. Then he will lift you up into the life that you're actually looking for but you're not finding. I mean, eventually it's like, if we just gotta look in the mirror we, got, we just have to do that and go, it's, what am I doing? It, it's a me problem. It's like God's never gone anywhere. He's never left. Like it's, it's a me thing. And what's it going to take for me to say no to the world and say yes to God? And the answer is saying it, humbling ourselves, receiving the grace that God has extended to us, and then saying not not I, but Christ, that, that he's the answer now. So when you became a Christian, if you claim Christ in this room, which I know is the high majority of us, that day you renounced your allegiance to the world. Like you declared your allegiance to Christ, the one who died for you and was raised again. Like that's the team you're on now. It would kind of be like if you, you see oftentimes that uh, when, when a new coach gets hired uh, from, from a team or they, they go move, move somewhere, but they have all this gear from the previous team they coached. And a lot of times, I have a lot of buddies who are coaches, they'll just like basically give away you know, all the Auburn gear 
because they just got a job at Ole Miss. So they clear out all that stuff. And now they're, they're Ole Miss people. Like they're, they're, they're old, that, that, that's, that's their world now. Like that's their allegiance now. That's their job now. That's their duty now. The same way we become a Christian, we take off. We take off everything that was before. And we say, no, now, now I'm with you. And again, because we're humans, because we're sinful people, we're going to fall back every now and then. And you're going to put on those Auburn underwear from time to time, or whatever it might be. But that's when we go, okay, what's going on here? What's the deal? What's the deal? And God's like, I'll tell you the deal. You covet, but you can't obtain. Because you're looking for things that are never meant to be obtained for you in the first place, and that's the things of this world. So humble yourself. Repent of your sins. And say, God, I, I, I submit myself to your rule, to your word. I'm not just a hearer. I want to be a doer of these things. I'm convinced that you're the one that, that you claim to be. And you do know what's better for me than anyone in this world knows. Like, you're the one that knows what's best for me. You're the one who has what's best for me. So as the saying used to go, why, why settle for chop sirloin when you can have the filet mignon? I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but I love that saying. That's basically what's happening here. That juicy fruit gum is going to taste really, really good for about three seconds. Why is that, by the way? And then you need to get new gum. That's probably why I want you to keep eating. Guess what? That's the world's plan. Keep chewing. Keep buying. But it doesn't work for the long haul because it was never designed to. So let's see people who go, okay, God, I'm going to reflect on my life. I'm going to reflect on what's going on. And I'm going to acknowledge that you know what's best. I have been double-minded. You know me better than I know myself. I've been double-minded. And I can't be double-minded anymore because God's envious towards his people. And he won't let us be people who commit spiritual adultery. He has no place for that. But he has grace for those who acknowledge that who repent of their sins and refuse to return to it again by the grace of his name. Let's pray together. Father, as we reflect on your word this morning, we ask you reflect our, on our hearts that you convict us of our sin and also make us fully aware of the grace that's available through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we ask as the spirit convicts us that we will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and it will lead us to not want to be friends with the world because we're first and foremost friends of our God. So thank you for allowing us to gather as a church this morning. And we ask that we will be a people who have self-awareness about our spiritual lives. We won't look in the mirror and see the things that are going on that need to be fixed and changed and then walk out the door and never acknowledge it. But we also know that you're the one who does the fixing and the changing, not ourselves. So we're thankful that not only did you make the demands on us to follow you, you also gave us the means. That is your spirit, your word, and your grace, and also your people to the local church. We thank you for all this and all you've given us and how kind you are to us. In the name of Jesus, amen.